Coming up this week, we wrap the A qualifier for the 2022 ICC Men's T20 World Cup in its entirety and run through every side's campaign. But first, a shout out to our friends on Patreon. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. A huge shout out to our latest patron, Sagir Pakar. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. To sign up, log on to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. Up next, a lot of discussion points from the qualifier in Oman. Ah, yes, welcome in again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. Nick Skinner, Tim Cutler, and myself, Daniel Bezik, will run through the ICC Men's T20 World Cup Qualifier A, which has been run and done where we are, recording this straight after the semi finals, so just before the finals being played out. Though, for the relevance, there really isn't any in terms of the final for us. Let's talk about the two teams that have qualified for the upcoming tournament in Australia. It's congratulations to Ireland and United Arab Emirates for qualifying for the ICC Men's T20 World Cup in 2022 to be held in Australia as well. We'll all be there. Just before we get into it, guys, how are we all doing? <laughs> Do we have to answer together? Um Good. I was a little bit presumptuous there saying we're all going to be there. Like some of us maybe Never make promises like that, Bez. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Look, I know that you two are still dirty, that you didn't go to the UAE for the qualifying three nineteen, and although I'm two and a half hours away, it could be two and a half weeks. But no, it's been uh we always knew this was gonna be a cutthroat week of cricket and it is everything that we thought it was going to be. Teams coming unstuck at the last hurdle with a an amazing start you know and I don't want to steal your thunder but for Nepal to go in unbeaten in the in the group stages not that any of us really picked that and then to fall in in the semi-final and I'm sure we'll get talking about the format as we go but I think that just really does typify the emerging cricket world (laughs) in a a nutshell and I don't mean it in an Austin Powers type nutshell that's big enough for me to be in it but (laughs) Yeah, I, I think the, the highs and the lows of, of, of this week to see teams come in and show promise like Canada did at the start and then what we had with those two semifinals and the importance of runs runs on the board. It's been, yeah, it's been an emotional week and I think we all wish we could have been there, you know, especially with games going on at the same time on adjoining grounds where we could have literally watched both games would have been amazing, but we couldn't be. But the next best, best thing was watching um, number one ground on a stream and um, a could not broadcast screen for number two. How are you, Daniel? How's your week been? You've, you've been in quarantine. You're about to have freedom. Are you going to have face paint and be screaming freedom when you when you leave there? Like what? What is? How is New Zealand? I haven't been there for so long. It'll be more like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption when he goes through the tunnel and he gets to the end and the rain's there falling on him and you can see him looking to the heavens in pure jubilation. But no, in fairness, it's been okay. Sort of just did my seven days. By the time everyone listens to this, I'll be out and free and actually flying again down to Christchurch for some pre-event stuff here, which I'm looking forward to. Time zone didn't really help in terms of watching the cricket. I've been in contact, actually working with a patron of Emerging Cricket, in Max Abbott, who's also here in New Zealand. And we've sort of been messaging in all hours of the night trying to stay up and watch the games because he's also on the uh, local organising committee for the tournament proper 
come October and November. So he has to keep a close eye on it while doing this as well. And we've been staying up till 12 o'clock, 1am in the morning, trying to watch the games or the afternoon sessions. But yeah, I've enjoyed it. We've had the issues of the streams a little bit, and we will talk about that. But looking at the results, I think that the two best teams overall, the tournament did progress ultimately. I think Nepal, you could probably make a case of being a little bit hard done by going three from three and then losing in a semi-final. But we'll talk about that in, in more depth in a bit. Nick, how are you? What was your experience like watching uh, the ICC.TV streams? <laughs> well... I, I was actually camping over the weekend at a mate's property in rural New South Wales with no reception whatsoever. So I think my experience there was about the same as when I actually tried to watch the match um, in, in terms of how effectively I was able to, to follow the stream. Uh, it was uh, was not great. Um, but uh, yes, that was fun. Um, just hanging out on a property, swimming in the river, all, all, the, all the cool stuff you do out in the country. But um, yeah, pretty disappointing. The only time Canada performed well was when i was unable to watch them so um yeah <laughs> i think there's something in that again yeah it's not us it's you yeah well next time they've got an important game i might just drive uh, three hours north and get out of phone reception <laughs> before we do go through the canadian post-mortem we'll start with the good the the teams that have qualified and gone through looking at uae and, and ireland both turn it on when they needed to at the end i think uae probably played the best cricket overall i think uae are the strongest team at the qualifier and they came through and, and won convincingly in that semi-final against nepal thanks to their start with the bat we discussed the emergence of this team this uae team that Ahmedraz has been able to put together over the last two years given all the the turmoil that they've had and nick you and i were kind of talking about it before we jumped on today this uae team could be the most exciting iteration of a uae team that we've kind of seen since we've followed associate cricket anyway i know that people will harp on about the the karam khans of of yesteryear in uae cricket and a few other famous faces and and big names who have done great things. But I'm looking at this UAE team and I'm looking at them with great optimism, thinking that, you know, they might be able to do some good things in, in Australia once they, they do come down here and compete in the first round. They've got almost every base covered. I mean, fast bowling is, is again, something we'll, we'll talk about. But Janet Sadiq came through in, in the semi-final and, and, yeah, they're a great team to watch at the moment. Yes, uh, first time that I can remember being genuinely excited to see the UAE coming. You know, a lot of the time they're kind of there or thereabouts. You're like... Oh yeah, the UAE, they're, they're there as well. And But um, no, yeah, all, all the exciting young talent coming through, guys like Aravind and, and Suri and the, the older generation of fan favourites, obviously Ahmed Raza, another plug for our interview on, on EC, just scroll back through the podcast feed for our chat with him. Yeah, Raza's always been a great character in the emerging game and, and, and Rowan Mustafa, uh, who PDP, I think, compared to a famous Canadian hockey player in, in, in his willingness to just you know scrap and scrap and scrap to, to get the win for his team. And yeah, they've got a, a really entertaining brand of cricket, a lot of hard hitting at the top of the order and some very crafty spin bowling. As you say, fast bowling, probably the weakness, uh, the weak link in this team. Uh, but let's talk about the good bits first. Um, Richard Aravind. Oh. oh my goodness. We were talking him up ahead of the tournament and, and he's delivered. He's just... 
he just hits it so well. And I was saying this last time, but he, he just times it. He has so much time on the ball and it goes a mile without it looking like he's slogging it. Whereas, you know, someone like Muhammad Wazim, you can tell he's he's giving it everything. He's throwing the kitchen sink at it. But Aravind, he just nudges it and it goes for six. Oh, some of the inside-out cover drives that Vrita Aravind played during this tournament. Just uh, need to go through his four scores here just to kind of accentuate how good he's been. He's by far and away the most prolific run score at the tournament before the final. 97 not out of 67 balls, 40 off 29 balls, 84 not out of 52 balls, and then the 46 off 23 that he made in the in the semi-final. He fell to Sandeep Lamachane, which plenty of players have fallen to Sandeep Lamachane at this level in the past, but he was the one that kind of got them going early and actually took a little bit of the enforcing pressure off Mohamed Wazim. We know that Mohamed Wazim can be lethal in the power play overs, can peel off huge scores for not many balls, but in that semi-final, he actually needed a little bit of time just to get going a little bit. Farita did most mm. of the early work, and then Wazim, towards the back end, capitalized on the start and made 70 or 48. So the thing about Aravind is that he's not only good for himself in that he makes scores for himself and for the team, it also enables the rest of the team to be a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more confident and able to play with a little bit more freedom, knowing that there's less pressure on them to succeed as well. So he's such an important player now all of a sudden, and you know he's not even 20 years of age yet, Aravind, and, and he could play a huge part in their campaign in, you know, in October and, and hopefully into November through the through the next round of the competition. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, when you look at the past when people talk about opening combinations and not having two batters that both go hard because you know that problem of them sort of butting heads and both trying to go. But, you know, the way that they worked together on Tuesday was a thing of beauty because, as you said about Wazim, his, his final numbers were amazing, but you almost didn't notice that he was out there because he just kept getting himself off strike. And, yeah, if there's a loose ball, he hit it. But he's got Aravin back there. And, and, you know, you've already said it about the way that he drives the ball. But those shots over the leg side as well. I know that we heard once or twice about there being a short boundary in Amman, but you've still got to hit it. And a lot of those shots... You know, it's one thing if you know you've got a short boundary, you can kind of temper and you don't need to go as hard. But these were like proper. They're going into the car park. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The ball is in the parking lot. Would you like to play again? <laughs> Power drive. <laughs> May I suggest a putter? This is Caravello's putting challenge. <laughs> I am Cavallo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I really hope that gets in the final cut because that's just taking me back. Um point of that story being yes that was amazing I I don't want to say it was a perfect power play but um, it was as you said really exciting team to watch UAE team of the past look let's not beat around the bush there was a team of expats who had not grown up in UAE and had very little connection to UAE cricket as opposed to moving there usually through work but this is a kid who's grown up in the UAE born in India Move the UAE, he's a product of the system. This is what we want to see. And I've had a couple of fights on and offline about this, about people talking about the UAE being a, a franchise team and blah, 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 blah. It's the same old stuff and you don't need to guess too hard about where these accusations are coming from. It's like, no, this is what happens when you have a team that invests, like similar to what Oman is doing now, invests in overseas talent to try and supercharge a system, augment a system, and then you've got youngsters coming through. And the UAE has a, a unique situation with the, the fact that there are more 
expats, more migrant workers there than actual Emiratis. But the, the thing is, a lot of these guys play cricket and their kids are playing cricket. And and that is the cricket community of the UAE and the majority population of the UAE. And these kids are coming through and it's exciting to see. And it's even more exciting the narrative that has transpired, that has unfurled in front of us since 2019, to have almost half your team done for match fixing, you'd almost write a team off for half a decade yeah. if that happens, or longer, especially a team that we all thought was, well, not we, I mean we, the raw we, thought was a plastic team of expats. Look at what's happened. You, we, we may not know about this kid unless this had happened. He may still be playing under-19s, but here we are talking about him, and my fear is... He's going to be playing IPL in a couple of years and India are going to pick him and we're not going to see him again. Like That's that's the talent that this, that this yeah. kid has. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but it was exciting to see. You know, There were some interesting decisions by UAE. I don't want to get away from the point that we're, that we're on because we've got so much to talk about. But some still some interesting decisions in, in that team to see Rowan Mustafa come in solo down the order. Mohamed Usman came in and he's got a, a strangely similar style to Rohan in the way that he bats with this sort of really wide backlift and almost looks like he's, he's swinging a, a, a rodeo lasso around. <laughs> but yeah. he, he, he could not middle a ball if he tried yesterday. Mm. Like it, it was almost embarrassing. And he got dropped a couple of times. For those that didn't watch, he, he got dropped off a, an absolute sitter to, to Muller at, at, at an extra cover. Uh, oh my, oh dearie me. It was like... Before a game when the coach is hitting balls like one hand with a half a bat and a ball out of his hand just half hitting it, you've got to kind of like half jump and catch it and underarm it back. That happened. The fact he was on 12 off 16 or something at that time was meant that Nepal didn't lose much. But, you know, Lenny and uh, and Radders, how good was it to hear Paul Radley on, on commentary, by the way? Yeah. Great to mm. hear a knowledgeable voice of reason and especially someone who's a foil for Lenny. I think it's one thing about dropping someone as counterintuitive and... It may be a good thing that you drop a, a batter who's not necessarily going that well. I think it still gets the team down if someone's dropping catches. I think it still takes a hit to the morale of a fielding team and a bowling team if you're dropping catches because you want to be on top, you want to be attacking, and you want to be dominating. If you're dropping catches, albeit to a batter who's not going that well, I think it puts you on the back foot, and we know what the UAE ended up scoring. But I agree wholeheartedly. They're an exciting team. I think they're just minus a real out-and-out pace bowler. Sadiq, you know, broke the game open that first over, but I would say that was probably more brain explosion of, of Nepal trying to hit over that short boundary than not, but you still got to take those catches and you still got to bowl those lines, so good on him. But again, we don't have thousands and thousands of cricketers to choose from, and with the selection choices that were made and to see, you know, probably one of our, our favourite associate cricketers come out and take Pfeiffer in a T20 match, skipper after everything he's been through, like what... What a redemption story that I remember him sitting there in the press conferences in 2019 being asked about how he felt about the players that had just basically left his team high and dry for being match fixers. And here he is leading his team, leading as, as a leader, not just on the field and taking wickets to a World Cup. I think that's a, a great story and uh, well done. And congratulations, Ahmed Raza. Yeah, they missed out. In 2019, they they came pretty close, and you mentioned Mohamed Usman. He hit 80 odd against Canada in in the must win game at the end of the group stage, and um, yeah, so I certainly remember that uh, that, that big <laughs> swinging backlift of his. Um, but I'm right on it. It's it's like a lasso, isn't it? It's this yeah, weird yeah, little sort of goes out to hit, point. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
But yes, Ahmed Raza, I think all throughout the tournament was very good with his tactics. He was able to in, insert himself into the attack very well and, and rotate his bowlers cleverly. He's, a, I mean, a perfect example of, you know, people who say bowlers shouldn't be captains. I mean, I guess Pat Cummins is probably, you know, putting that to rest now. But And he's he's just been so wily both when he is bowling and, and when he's deciding who else should bowl. Uh, Mustafa as well, and we can kind of get onto this. Uh, their spin attack's been very good. Uh, a lot of quality both well between Raza and Mustafa Mayapan as well with his leg breaks can can come in and you know you look at the the seam attack and that's definitely the weak link I know Bez we're looking ahead we don't know fully which group uh, which teams are going to be in uh, whether they'll be in Geelong or in Hobart Geelong the track can be a bit sluggish so maybe that would favor UAE but if if Hobart's a green top I think UAE might be um, not too happy about that one with the way their uh, attack is balanced at the moment Geelong's fascinating because I think you're right. I, I think it is on the slower side, but I don't think they've played enough games of elite cricket there to actually get a good gauge. I think the early impression is probably that point. And uh, I think, especially in comparison to Hobart, I think UAE would prefer to be on the on the Geelong surface. But yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I think even a team like Namibia would probably fancy themselves on, on the Geelong surface too. And that's where we know that they are going to be playing. And, and this will just depend on, on how the final shakes out. As, as we mentioned, we're recording this before the final because in the reality of things, we don't place a big bearing on, on the final result because we've got the two qualifiers for the World Cup. The other success story, I suppose, is, is Ireland and they escaped the the double heartbreak of sorts in that they had to come up against Oman in that semi-final and one of those teams would have not only been eliminated from the first round of the last World Cup they would have been done uh, in the group stage at, uh, at this tournament and unfortunately that's a fate that Oman have experienced but to look at Ireland they did just enough and I think one of the big questions they actually solved was in the semi-final in that Paul Sterling and that the top order, the openers, failed with the bat, yet they were still able to put up a, a decent score, which they were able to defend rather comfortably. And that will be highly encouraging for Andy Balburnie and his team, the fact that they've been able to do that. I think they deserve to qualify. In looking at that, Group A on the balance of things seems the stronger of the two with Bahrain coming from now and We will talk about Bahrain as well. But to look at, at this Irish team, they didn't select Kevin O'Brien on the tour. And we did raise that question. How could you leave out the greatest player in limited over Irish history and even with a Test 100 to his name? But we did see the younger players step up a little bit more at this tournament. And, and all the all-rounders chipped in with the ball and with the bat and they did enough to, to qualify and they uh, partied long into the night according to our reports in Oman in some sort of birthday party in, in someone's basement. <laughs> well, oh, that would have been a, a sight to behold, I, I can imagine. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think the fact that Sterling and Balburnie were both out early and they still managed to post 160 plus against Oman, um, that was very encouraging. Uh, the fact that they could recover from the loss of you know the two guys who, uh, let's face it, usually if one or both of them goes early, Ireland struggle to post a, a competitive total. And you know the fact that we saw Delaney and and later on McBrien uh, batting so well to to up the acceleration, that's encouraging. And I mean McBrien, <laughs> it, it's it's quite funny really. He's he's sort of taken over Dockerell's spot as the finger spinner. Dockerell comes back as a batter. Now McBrien's uh, coming back as a batter as well, so I, I don't know what's going on there. A bit of a healthy competition, I guess. But um, you know, the the middle order with um, you know McBrien finishing, I, I suppose Delaney, Tector, Tucker, they, they've all shown quite a bit of promise. You know, glimpses. Uh, Delaney, I think, hit a decent half century at the the World Cup last year. We've seen a number of knocks uh, over the last couple of years. 
but they just haven't been consistent with it. So hopefully, you know, producing the games in a must-win knockout game can be a catalyst for a bit more consistency with that middle order and they can finally start rolling on with, you know, the, the form, they've been pretty good in ODI cricket and they just haven't been able to convert it to the T20 arena. So, you know, if they can continue these performances, you know, Delaney smashing slog sweeps for six like he was against Oman, if they can keep that up, I think they'll suddenly look like a, a much more threatening team, especially with um, the, the pace attack they've got. You know, Adair, Little and Young all contributed at various moments. They're all uh, quite different bowlers, which is which is helpful as well. I think you cut through sort of all the, the things that we highlighted on the way in for Ireland and, and how they would struggle, but to see how they recovered with Balburnie and Sterling being dismissed early. You know, I've been looking back in the tournaments they haven't had a sudden death playoff like this, or won a sudden sudden death playoff like this in any of their qualifiers. Mm. You know, they had a, a playoff match against Afghanistan for the World Cup in 2019 that they, that they lost, and Afghanistan went through after that amazing run. After Afghanistan had zero carry through points from the round games there, when they they came through with the, more than a, a wet sail, and even going back, um, you know, 2015 World Cup, they qualify on the back of their World. Cricket League Championship results, and likewise in other qualifiers, they've been ahead. You know, they limped is a is a wrong is a wrong word, but after results went their way in the final day in 2015 to make the 2016 T20 World Cup, they haven't had to play any sudden death matches. So to see them come out and perform at this, and and to see the younger generation perform, and it is a funny one to, to, to talk about Andy McBride as a younger generation because not only has he been there for so long, but he looks like, and I mean that in the nicest way possible, he's just got that kind of hardened, you know, he looks like he's, he's in the trenches and he's fighting for you. He's been there and he's been there, done that. Bit of Peter Boren to him. They've got to be related. I'm sorry. And I know Peter Boren's from the other side of the world, but I'm sorry. DNA tests, Boren and McBride. I have to get Jeremy Bray because I think he's, he, he knows the McBrines from way up north there. But yeah, really happy to see players like that that are, you know, in the nicest way possible are battlers and, and they are they're fighters. And I was talking about uh, Mustafa during the UAE Nepal game about being competitors. Well, there's Annie McBride, a guy that was sort of not so much out of favour, but his style not necessarily fitting into the, the team makeup and to see the Simi Sings and uh, Dockrell and the fact that Dockrell's there with that horrible haircut. No, don't worry. I wish I had enough hair these days to, to die blonde. <laughs> but, you know, re- really happy to see that performance and... Look, I'm happy to say that they, they prove us wrong. Not so much prove us wrong. We said that if they're going to go anywhere in the future, they need their, their next generation to be stepping up and their next generation has stepped up. So really happy for them. And we want to see them do well because they are the heroes of the emerging cricket world. You know, Afghanistan have an amazing story born out of horrible background and, and people growing up in, in, in refugee camps and learning and not being appreciated for being countrymen until they do well in cricket where Ireland have been playing the game longer and been chipping away a longer time and really come up the, the ladder and been, and been knocking on that, that full member door for so long before Afghanistan came and sort of jumped on at the same time and burst through it. And we want to see them do well because that shows that other countries can do it as well. So good on them. And who knows, are they going to pick Kevin O'Brien in Australia or are they going to continue with the, the same squad that got them here? Very interested to see and very interested to see how they go in Australian conditions. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It was a question that I wanted to pose to you guys as well. We know he was here in 2015 during the 2015 World Cup. He knows this part of the world fairly well. He's the greatest, we've already said it, he's probably the greatest white ball player Ireland's seen 
uh, and he's just been dominant for that long. They didn't pick him in this squad. And, you know, there was a dip in form. We still questioned that why can't he bring something to the table? And I still sort of harbour aspirations for his sake to, to come out here and out to Australia to play in a tournament here for the World Cup once more. But surely, Nick, even in some capacity, even if it's not necessarily playing, there is so much experience that that man has got in international cricket. You would be silly not to be, you know, picking the brains of Kevin O'Brien in some respects, even if he isn't playing in the team per se. No, I'd, I'd have him in the team. I think um, at the top of the order, that allows Andy Barberni to drop down a place or two and sort of float in that middle order and, and play the um, kind of middle order stabiliser role if they lose quick wickets or, or even if you know guys like Delaney do get going, as he did in this tournament. Balburnie can kind of hang back and, and let them do their thing. So I think, yeah, Kevin O'Brien at the top, uh, he wasn't even doing that badly when at the World Cup. You know, he hit a decent number of runs at an okay strike rate. Certainly no worse than a number of people who've been tried over the years for Ireland. So, yeah, I think that experience combined with the fact that he will go hard early and typically he'll either lose his wicket pretty quickly or, or he'll score some runs for you. Um, that fits pretty well at the top of the order. Or I guess it's kind of the pinch hitting sort of theory compared to Balberni, who who did have a good tournament, but you know, his first instinct is to be sort of technically correct and, and um, more of an accumulator. And that role sort of fits a little bit better, just a bit down the order. Yeah, I think it would be somewhat encouraging in taking this in the, in the best way possible that Paul Sterling made three scores in the 30s, didn't pass 51s, and they still qualified relatively comfortably. I think Ireland can take a lot of encouragement out of that just in terms of sharing the workload with the bat. We know that there's enough quality with the ball between Little and Adair and, and then the spin threats that they do have. Shall we talk about Bahrain? Because they are a fascinating team to us. Even in emerging circles, there isn't a whole lot out there made public of Bahrain and and to be honest I think we've kind of come to the deduction that that's by design almost trying to fly under the radar working on their little project but I think it's an indication that the Western Asia region of cricket at the moment is in a pretty good space even outside of UAE and Oman talking about Qatar missing out on this qualifier on net run rate to Bahrain and you know Kuwait put up a pretty good fight in that qualifier as well and then to see Bahrain at this qualifier you would almost say that they've shown that the region collectively as a group is is pretty strong as well I mean there are certainly a couple of downs to their to their game probably on the bowling side but they stuck to their guns with the bat we knew they were going to come out hard we saw some of the scores in their regional qualifying they they want to go hard at the top and they lived up to that expectation they beat UAE with the caveat being that UAE were really chasing a different score just to make sure that their net run rate was superior. But they put in a good performance against probably the form team at the tournament. And you've got to say, Nick, that we could be talking about Bahrain in a positive light more and more on the podcast if they keep putting up performances akin to that. Yeah, it's uh, interesting the level of mystery surrounding this team. Um, Our friend Peter Della Pena tried to interview the coach, but... Apparently, they have two head coaches. He got sort of fobbed off to someone else, um, and then neither of them were, were able to speak to him. Um, quite an interesting situation there. I'm not sure what's going on with that. But, um, yeah, I think, as you said, you know, the, the fact they're willing to go hard at the top of the order, that mentality 
was really impressive. Um, obviously, Safra's smashing it, the captain fr- from the start, and they'll just go. And they, they sort of have an intuitive grasp of, of when to go. And even, you know, playing within some relatively limited techniques, they know what their hitting arcs are. They, they know what balls they're aiming to go hard at. And they looked really good in the way that they're able to, yeah, play within themselves and um, and, and still score big. I think, uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of their sort of ancillary stuff, like their fielding was a bit sloppy and running between wickets was not great and yeah as, as you mentioned their bowling was pretty ordinary if we're honest so you know there's something to work with there um, but but there's a lot of improvement still to go before I think you know they'll be competing with teams like the UAE more consistently but you know if, if they keep on this trajectory I'm, I'm sure they will uh, <laughs> it's just a bit of a shame that it's so hard to get any information out about what they're up to yeah look it's not rocket science and don't want to sound too negative but I think you give them too much credit that it's something by design that this is all a secret and they've been building this team in the background like international men of mystery not quite the James Bonds of of associate cricket but well he mentioned Austin Powers earlier. that might have it was, been it was a bit like that yeah maybe it's more like that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that... it's a really big Johnson um yeah I, it's it's one thing to to not have a Twitter account or a Facebook page and and not be putting stuff out every week you know there are larger associates that don't do that but uh, leading journalist in associate cricket who's trying to get in contact with you at the biggest event you've ever been and to to fob them off and in in the end not be able to have an interview is just schoolyard failure because what what people going to go looking for them um, want to know more about them or people in country or people that are traveling there or people want to tour or even have them tour how are they going to know what's what's going on and it's actually a really bad advertisement for the emerging game if somebody well we know that no one's going to have happened onto a Bahrain game on TV but if they got to look them up there's just a a black hole um you know there's a, a a profile on the icc page which is no doubt probably a couple of years old when when that was all updated and no current information scores profiles anything and and we're guessing where these people are from and their, and their stories and one of the beauties of hong kong cricket for me was that if you just read the the pages sorry if you just read the names on the page and uh, saw where people were born you know you make a lot of assumptions but there are many amazing stories behind all these boys and girls that play cricket for Hong Kong as an example here. You know, here the majority of people who play for Vanuatu are born here and, and people look at things differently. But the problem is, if you don't know anything, people are going to make assumptions. And that's one of the biggest problems about growing the game or at least projecting what associate cricket is, which is this amazing thing that exists in the world of sport and even within the sort of prism of global cricket, these people sort of fighting it out a lot of the time in places where people don't know what the sport is that they're playing. And, you, and you, in spite of people's interest or people saying, well, why are you using such a big piece of land for this sport that we, we don't understand? These are the stories you want to know. We're like, well, how, how are these guys so good? What's, what's their story? Which makes you think, well, if they're not telling the story, then maybe there's something to hide, which is not necessarily true, but it's just really discouraging to see that it's like we want we want to know these stories like who are these opening batters who boom them everywhere who were the the only team to beat the uae <laughs> you know and, and and albeit as you sit bears that you know they were playing a different game but they definitely went into that game trying to trying to win it they didn't go into it thinking oh look guys we'll just sort of give out we'll reverse the batting order and you know so we only need to get so many they got beaten by a better team on, on the day so yeah that's my only point on that and maybe i sort of harped on it a little bit too much but it's these are controllables here that you know it doesn't take a lot of effort and if not the icc are going to help 
you know, going to help with having interviews or interview style or media training. You know, the, the, the process and programs are all there set up within the development team to, to help no matter what region you're in. So a little bit disappointing because, you know, associate cricket, especially when it's broadcast to this level, is all about the stories that sit behind it. You know, we don't have whiz-bang replays. We don't even have replays for boundaries. It's about the stories behind. And that's why having commentators like Lenny and PDP and, and Raiders who came on, on later who actually know the players and can talk about it add so much more to it. Like It's more enjoyable than watching any amazingly put-together broadcast. But when you've got a team who flat-out ignores or obfuscates interviewers or people trying to interview them, you know, that, that, that doesn't help this and our cause at all. Well, just on those stories, um, I, one one player I would like to highlight is Junaid Aziz, who ended up being Bahrain's top wicket-taker, just bowling lollipop leg spin. Took five for against Germany in about an over and a half. Um, I, I don't really know quite how that happened, but um, I've, I've seen you bowl more threatening leg spin in the nets for Narara, Bez, but, uh, <laughs> you know... He, <laughs> He's got ten international wickets, and uh, you I've don't. I've got none. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> yet to just really exploit these ICC eligibility criteria. I just need to fly to Vanuatu, live there for three years, and convince the Vanuatu coaching and selection staff. To, <laughs> yeah, we're well, gonna have to get past a uh, left arm spinner in two and a half years. So, mate, do yeah. your best. <laughs> yeah, look, I think I'll be battling <laughs> an so. aging, balding, you know. <laughs> But, you know, it's the style of the time. It is. It is. Looking at this Bahraini team and, and Savras Ali, who's 40 years old, running in and almost looking like that grade cricketer who's at your club and in his mid-40s and probably should have given it away five years earlier, still trundling in, but also really good and taking wickets. That's how I would describe his action. It was a sight to behold. But, yeah, Tim, that, that's a really good point you make, and it kind of ties into the rant of two weeks ago three weeks ago where you know a lot of boards in the associate world haven't really helped themselves in terms of the exposure yes we talk about oh why is there not as much coverage in you know in in the emerging game and whatnot and that's kind of one of the reasons we were formed was to be the informers to kind of help with that but there are a number of boards around the world who just deliver close to nothing and then when the likes of Peter Delapena who's one of the finest journalists in the associate game tries to you know get some more out of you actually goes out and endeavors to to find more out about you you come back with nothing so that is a little bit disappointing let's another team that had a disappointing fate albeit with an unbeaten group stage record in Nepal it looks so good particularly with the ball early on and the Oman win might have mastered a couple of things in that Oman threw away a couple of wickets early on in that chase of a really modest total and Nepal took a lot of confidence out of that victory and looked really good with the ball there were glimpses with the bat and I still maintain that you know this team's batting unit is one of the you know maybe outside of not having Paris in the lineup still one of the better batting lineups that they've they've had on the circuit but I think they'll be really disappointed by the way that it finished up they were they were good against Canada they were solid they made the most of taking early wickets against them as well. Went out and did the job against the Philippines and we saw Kushal Bertel make 100 in, in that game. And then they come to the semi-final and they take on UAE and they just get a little bit blown away by Vreach's early start. Sandeep eventually dismisses him and they pull it back a little bit. There was a period there where it looked as if they might have pulled things back, but it was something that we noticed actually across the whole tournament. There was some poor fielding. I actually think the standard of fielding at the tournament was probably 
worse than two years ago. And Nepal dropped a couple of catches, as Tim mentioned before. Granted, that probably didn't cost them, but they just let UAE get away a little bit too easily with the ball. And then with the bat, they probably just had a bit too much to chase down. They'll be really disappointed. They'd probably feel that they were, you know, one of the better teams here. But to essentially go home empty-handed and to wait for the next cycle, it's it just adds the frustration to the millions of Nepali fans watching. Encouraging signs, Nick, again, but just not quite enough to deliver it at the uh, the pointy end of the of the tournament. Yeah, you mentioned Paris Kadka there, and I think him being in that batting lineup would have actually made quite a difference. Just having a senior guy there to calm the wobbles. I know they had Ganendra Mella down the order, but I think he he was just really struggling to find his own form. I didn't really do a whole lot. Had a wretched time in that warm-up quad series as well. So I don't know. I mean, he was <laughs> he was captain until a few weeks ago uh, with some board turmoil. So I don't know where they go next with him. Uh, young guys like Lokesh Bam and, and Kushal Muller failed to get going. Uh, yeah, the, the batting lineup, just a bit liable to wobbles, but there's so much quality there up and down the order compared to a few years ago where it was very much uh, everyone was relying on, on Paris and, and to a lesser extent, Ganendra Muller and maybe Karan KC to dig them out of trouble. The bigger issue was more on the bowling side, especially the seam attack, which the UAE was able to exploit in that semi-final and just really pumped them all around the ground, if we're honest. They're just lacking Karan KC and, and Sompal Kami. They looked pretty threadbare, just trundling in a lot of kind of barely more than medium pace, uh, very easy to put away, and, and they, they really lacked that cutting edge to create some pressure with the ball. Um yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. They, they have all these promising batsmen all of a sudden, but they haven't really found anyone on the pace bowling side of things. Yeah, uh, nail on the head there about the depth that they now have. However, you, you know, fast bowling stock. It's not that Sampal necessarily bowls, you know, 140 plus. He just has a lot more energy on the ball, is hurrying the batters up. He bowls at sort of shorter length. Likewise with, with Karen Casey, I just found them a little bit pop gun. And Bez already said that I think that Oman result really did mask a tournament that, look, they went undefeated through the group stage and I, I don't want to talk that down, but they were horrible in that first batting innings and really got out of it with some good bowling. Sandeep's a, a superstar and then got through the, ne- the, the next two games, one, one of which against an opposition that was unfortunately sort of beaten quite heavily by everyone who played them. So going into that last match, I, I still felt that this could happen. You know, UAE get off to a good start with battle ball and it, they could fall away. And I felt that after that power play, Nepal were gone. The drop catches, I thought, there's no batter in the team that I can see scoring at the rate they need to. You know, Dependra Singh Ire, he only scored at 120 during this entire tournament. And they needed a lot more than that to win that game. And it's one thing if you're the, the anchor of, of a partnership, but they needed someone to score at, at, at higher than that rate. And I found for that first over that he faced when he was running down the wicket trying to hit, hit over cover, and it's T20 cricket and you got to back your players and the way that they play. I just felt, no, they're rattled and they weren't going to get there. So what does that tell you? Is it not enough experience at this level? Is it not enough experience to locally where they're being troubled or, or experience overseas? You know, it's been a tough time and very little domestic cricket in many countries and, and Nepal's been the, been the same. But I think it's the same conversation over and over again. I, I, and I'm afraid to sort of say anything about them any further because Bez, to see you being abused on, on Twitter, I guess there weren't any any death threats this time for anyone for <laughs> he was close, though. speaking ill of, of Nepal. And I look, we haven't talked about who got their predictions right. I said Canada instead of Nepal in the semifinals, but I think it's only me that got it right, really, was it? UAE and Ireland? Or? Yeah, I, I didn't. I had UAE and Oman, I think. Yeah, Nicholas? 
You had Canada going through. Yeah, I had I had UAE in Canada. Yeah. Nick, oh yeah. yeah. See, we need to have a chat. You, about you were that. like that guy who always tips his team in footy tips and doesn't win. <laughs> exactly. I am definitely that guy. You are that person, aren't you? That's that's the first tip that you put in every week. Well, it's it's like I said, the hope it's the hope that gets you. Yeah, you know, it's hope every, that kills you. Every time they look like they might be able to do it and they just can't. Yeah, and sorry, we're on Nepal. Yeah, they're fast bowling and you know, in a final, it just seemed a bit. Bit pop gun on Tuesday. Bowling length, not a lot of planning. See that that drop catch that sort of I think really, as I said, put a knock to their the morale. Sandeep, I'm not sure the last time he captained at this level. You know, I, I love to see him bring himself on. It's always tough having. I don't. I'm laughing as I as I answer this because having done it myself, you know, having being a spin bowler and captain, it's a tough decision to make to bring yourself on and when, especially in this sense, the fact he brought himself on and was willing to extinguish his overs to take wickets. That's bold. And he came on, he, and, he, and he took the Kiwi at Aravind. You know, we could have picked it from well, we picked it from Australia and from Vanuatu that he was going to set him up with a couple of leggies, put the slip in there, and bowl a bowler wrong, and and then he went back to try and cut it. So it was like the worst of the worst. It was the worst possible shot he could have played. No, that sort of and it went underground, but that was that was good to see. But it just I don't, I don't know. Not having, I don't want to be that commentator who comes on and says, oh, where's Paris Kadka? But it just feels a little bit rudderless out there. And you, you don't see a plan. You don't see someone someone really dragging them, Gulliver-like, kind of picking them up and dragging them to their destination. But that's not to, you know, captains and leaders come in all forms. But I, I just feel that even if they have that talent, yeah, Irie's been around that team now for half a decade now. It's hard to believe for a guy so young, but it's now time for these players to step up. But I think they've also got to be supported with the selections. You know, you already mentioned the fact that, you know, they had a different captain a couple of months ago. And if Nepal are going to be successful, they really need to get their admin in order. Because, you know, for a country, and I know it's <laughs> it's a bit, there's some Lennyisms in this when he talks about 30 million people watching this, but there would have been millions of Nepalis watching this on Tuesday, and they would be the only country in the associate cricket world that that would be happening. You know, we all, all as big as the US cricket market is, you don't have all those fans watching USA cricket and that's USA cricket's challenge you have Nepalis watching Nepal cricket so you've got the support you've got the interest you just need the performance and you need the support from admin point of view we can't be having these situations again we're having the same conversations again that we have been over the last six years about imagine if Nepal got sorted yeah well I was just thinking about it before I mean Nepal's fast bowling has almost gone full circle where it's been almost eight years since they were at last at a T20 World Cup and they picked Jitendra Mukia to open the bowling bowling fast again they've gone all the way around the, the fast bowling talent of Nepal and come back to Jitendra Mukia so look I, I do sympathise with Nepal because a lot of the things that impact that game and impact that national team are out of the national team's control we've talked about it so many times that the board the organization the lack of cricket it is quite farcical and it's just one sort of burgeoning question burgeoning point of nepal cricket you know what could nepal cricket be and i think that's one of the big frustrations of seeing all these fans who are frustrated and clutching at excuses as to why the team didn't qualify the issues are there for everyone to see and things could be 15 to 20 25 times better than they are at the moment if the cricket in the country was governed better than how it's currently being governed. I mean, that's 
the issue. It's not, I don't even I wouldn't even blame it on the players because I think that group of players that they do have, if they're playing solid domestic cricket year in and year out, I think they're blooded and ready to a point where they do compete at the next level on the associate mm. scene. So look, uh, it is it is incredibly frustrating. Instead of looking for excuses from an Apali point of view, it should be well, you know, what's Can doing about this? Who's running Can? Mm. Just like Ireland had their mini investigation, and we can argue that as well if that was effective or not. But ultimately, they've come through and better for what happened last November with the T20 World Cup in qualifying for this one. Okay, they've only reached the same stage that they did last time, but it looks like that they've kind of thought about it and tried to put something in motion it just seems that with can being the way can is the nepal team are just kind of throwing everything in and giving sandeep the captaincy again it's shrouded in mystery as to you know why mala had the captaincy taken off him or if he gave or he relinquished it i mean the early signs of sandeep's captaincy isn't bad i mean i don't think he did a terribly bad job i think he capitalized you know he struck while the iron was hot in the power play there when oppositions lost wickets and he continued to stay on the attack but it's so much more difficult when you have a team like uae he get away from you and then you got to reel it back in it's much harder to kind of react as a captain than it is to be sort of proactive while you're on top. So I'm interested to see what happens next. But yeah, again, the questions need to be asked, you know, from from top to bottom, and that comes from from the organisation. And just just one last point on kind of the administrative side of things. Um, obviously, that's not a new thing for Nepal's cricket administration to be a bit of a mess. But you know, last week we talked about. Nepal seems to always want this sort of the quick fix, you know, just get uh, a new guy in the team or, you know, change the coach, get Pabudu back. But, um, you know, Pabudu Dasanayaka is a great coach, but he couldn't quite pull off a miracle here. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it probably would have been better if Dave Watmore could have stayed a bit longer and, and kept on building with what he'd started with a lot of these young guys. And, you know, the hope you would think would be that the failure here would get them to confront some of the issues back home that caused the failure. But then, you know, you think back to 2019 when they crashed out in regional qualifying, you know, they lost to Qatar and Singapore. That didn't get them to change anything. So, you know, it's the same thing again and again. And two years down the track, nothing's really changed. So they need something to change, but no one seems willing to actually do it. Yeah. And to kind of accept it and just be like, look, this is what we need to do. I- or just say, you know, this is not good enough. And instead of coming up with excuses or, you know, if only we had a different coach or if only we had, you know, Sandeep was captain or if only, you know, what, just admit that you've got a problem, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and to be fair, I think a huge portion of Nepal's fans actually realise that, yeah, it's the, it's the organisation that's the issue. It's not necessarily the players, but then when they're f- venting their frustrations, it, it you know, it, it doesn't come across as, as great reading. But I do sympathize uh, and another team that I, I think needs to kind of do some soul searching is oman who have had the double heartbreak that the first round exit in the t20 world cup that they hosted they then got to play in the backyard again at this qualifier and simply weren't good enough and it probably stems from the batting woes jatinder singh couldn't fire and as a result of that we know how good he's been in the past and as a result of that and outside of a couple of knocks from kashyap prajapati and, and zishan maksu they were really disappointing at this tournament and the bowlers just couldn't work with what you know they had going against them it was um yeah rather flat performance i want to say and they were also flat during the quadrangular, and it just makes me think that, yeah, maybe they need to kick up the backside as well. Yeah, I was saying, you know, when we reviewed the quadrangular series, I thought they'd just lost some spark. They looked a bit lifeless. Um, I thought maybe they'd found that when they, they chased down that total against Canada in quick time, and they looked like they had a bit more dynamism to the to the batting lineup. But then, yeah, they just were really out of sorts against Ireland again. 
just sort of it's like they're back to 2017 2018 Oman you know being very inconsistent they've, they've got all the ingredients that pace attack that we talk about led by Bill Alcan um, they've got some good spin options and and some aggressive batting but also some quite sluggish batting and they just they haven't been able to put it all together. I, I, I don't know what it is. You know, you look at uh, the guys in the team and, and no one is playing particularly badly. I mean, Jatinda didn't do a whole lot, um, although he was <laughs> he just barbecued LBW oh, wow. um, against Simi Singh. That was a, absolutely, genuinely one of the worst decisions I've, I've seen. <laughs> Hitting him outside the line of off, got a big old inside edge. Yeah, not, not a key player at all. Just just ask Hong Kong from 2019 whether Jatinda Singh is a key player to be getting out in a do-or-die match. Yes, well, exactly. I'm sure they would have taken a decision like that. That was horrible. Yes, so that certainly didn't help, but in his other matches, he, he didn't do a whole lot either. But yeah, I don't know. They just really fell apart against Ireland after looking like they might have found their mojo against Canada. And turns out it was just Canada being rubbish, which I'm sure we'll get to. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say that's Canada being... In Canada. <laughs> yeah, bang on. Not too much to add. I all just say that, you know, I didn't get to watch as much of the quad as you guys did beforehand. Uh, you predicted it. They looked tired, inconsistent, and the players had been better in the past weren't necessarily standing up as much and same things happened i think to our point before well my point i won't won't splash on you guys as to the different stages of where these teams are at uae is the new generation of a of a country born from let's call them passport players because we love so no of a you know of of, of a strategy oman are at a point where these players have got them to the point of success but are the oldest team at the tournament. Did I hear that their average age was 34? It'd be close. Yeah, okay, let's just agree before, while we're checking the tape is that Oman were the oldest team at the tournament. So what does that tell you? You know, you, you don't need to be Einstein to you put two and two together that players are not coming through the system or the young players are not up, up to it or the selection is very short-term, we need to get to this tournament. And yes, it's a World Cup and you, you want to get there, but that says to me that there's no one coming through. So worrying signs. They're still playing really well in ODI cricket, though. No, good point. They're playing well. You know, they're miles ahead in Cricket World Cup League 2, albeit having played a lot more games. But we've just seen a tournament, a home World Cup. Now, you can't have got, you know, more advantage there is to get a World Cup played yeah. in your home ground. Mm-hmm. And they bombed out of that. And they've just come into a host. When was the last time a team got to play in a World Cup and a qualifier within a year on their home grounds, full stop. Yeah. And the way that Oman have performed, you know, they've got some... I'm not trying to talk them down here. I'm just trying to be objective. But, you know, looking at it, they're a worrying sign. So for the players' sake, and we know how much they've fought to get where they are. Zishan Maksud, I'm kind of talking about him, especially this... Again, another sort of grumpy, also related to the McBrines and the, and the Borins. <laughs> this guy who just, you know, doesn't give up, fights to the last, and it's... You know, again, you know, the, the coming again of Maxud, you know, is he a bowler, is he a batter? He, he's an everything player, amazing. But Oman now needs to start looking at the next generation because the players that have got them to where they have, I think are part of the course of the last year and they've played more cricket. I think, geez, if we look at the numbers, I think they might have played more cricket than any other any other country out there with a number of ODIs, T20Is and, and hosting a World Cup in this qualifier. They've played just as much as anyone else out there. If they're not performing, then I think we need to be thinking, well, where the, where's that next generation? Are there young cricketers learning the game in Oman or are we looking at the next generation being the same way that we've seen here with people moving there to play in Oman? Yeah, not a whole lot to add. I think one one factor we need to kind of talk about is the absence of Akib Elias, who is a big loss, but I don't think his 
sole impact defines this team and, and that performance that was put out and uh, yeah a really disappointing time and it's a it's a fair question and one day cricket yeah again they've performed well but again Akibilas has been in that team and you know that form comes in before he was taken out of that team injured so when league two does come around again um and we see how Oman play without him in that format I, I think we can get a better gauge there but yeah we're starting to sort of come down the the hill they're well and truly over the hill in terms of uh, of their <laughs> form and and where they are kind of uh, cricket at the moment so before you you jump on i think an important thing to bear in mind here we've talked about how strong oman continue to be in the odi world you know the moment funding majority of their funding is based on 50 over cricket in the associate world but we're coming to the end of a cycle and things are going to be recast and with 20 over cricket being projected more and more as a growth vehicle i would say and predict that we're going to see funding go the same way so i think that's something that oman need to look at as well where in the past if you were strong at 50 over cricket you know i was only just looking at results tuesday night when someone was saying oh i don't think nepal's ever ever played namibia in in t20s that nepal have never played namibia in a t20 either last time they played was in the 2015 qualifier but because neither team had odi status and therefore t20i status at the time they didn't have it so looking at the way that odi status used to lead the way to t20i i I see it sort of turning around so oman may have been able to hitch the wagons to their odi quality where now i think that's going to start changing so if, you, if you're not performing in both formats or at least in t20 alone then it, you know you're not going to get the weight of funding that you had in the past shall we finally get canada out of the way for you nick i know <laughs> there were a, a few absences in this team nitish kumar probably the, the biggest of the lot but overall not great even with the the injection of Matthew Spores and, and his early impact of the tournament against the Philippines, that was one of the only shining lights in this entire campaign, if we're perfectly honest. Yeah, look, yeah, four first-choice players, by my reckoning, uh, Nidish Kumar and Shamanta Wajay Ratna in the top order, um, both are very experienced, top-quality batters. Nikhil Dutta, spin bowling, and Jeremy Gordon, the, the pace spearhead. So, you know, that, that's a serious loss, but it's not really an excuse because I, I think the team that they had was good enough to do the business. They just played really, really badly, you know? They, they fielded really, really poorly. You look at that game against Oman, three drops, I think, while Oman were going hard and ended up chasing down a, a target of 150-plus, I think, seven. 15-ish overs with, with one wicket down. Take a couple of those chances and you might have a chance of, of building some pressure or at least slowing the run rate. But it was just like a repeat of that game at the 2019 World Cup where Oman just demolished Canada's total. And against Nepal, when they'd picked up two quick wickets and might have been able to get a bit of a roll on with the ball, there, there was a, a drop chance of, of Zafar in the outfield that was, you know, it was regulation chance that just spilt it. I think it might have been Ravi Singh. I don't, I don't want to throw him under the bus. So we'll just say an unnamed Canadian player. Let's call him Ravi S or maybe R Singh. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> but uh, yes, and then uh, 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 Mr. HT uh, in the outfield <laughs> as well later on. But, you know, the, the damage had been done by then. It, it has been a talking point, I guess, over the, the tournament. Fielding hasn't been great, but... Uh, Gee, you can't be dropping chances like that in a crucial game against Oman or, or, or Nepal. Um, Spores, as you said, he, he, <laughs> he smashed the Philippines, but everyone smashed the Philippines. It looked all right against Germany. 
came and went very quickly against Oman and Nepal. So hopefully we, we see a bit more of him and he has more chances to prove himself uh, for Canada, maybe in, maybe in some of those Challenge League series. But, geez, I mean, the, the batting wasn't... There's some quality in there. Rayan Patan, Navneet Daliwal, Hamza Tariq down the order. You know, there's, there's guys who can bat, but they just played like idiots against Nepal. I, I don't know how else to put it. They lost 8 for 13. You know, they were going okay at 35 for 1 after sort of 4 overs or so in the power play. Uh, they, you know, they, they hit Sandeep for a couple of sixes. They were aggressive. They were, you know, looking good. And then just, I, I don't know what happened. They just... Wicket after wicket after wicket, two completely hopeless runouts. That it was it was genuinely among the most bizarre collapses that I've seen. They just were terrible shot selection. Dylan Haliger had to dig them out of trouble with a twenty odd and, and get them to you know eighty, which is I mean still very poor. But geez, I I don't know what happened in that half hour of madness. But um yeah, it really. <laughs> it just felt like the kind of thing that Canada always seemed to do. You know, they, they just look promising and then when it comes down to it, they just completely lose the plot. And, you know, you can say uh, the 2019 qualifiers, they played three good matches and then, then ran out of steam. And this one, they played one and a half good matches out of three and then ran out of steam. So, I don't know. It's it's clearly not a necessarily a fitness thing, just some some mental block and they just can't get out. It's been, I think the 2011 World Cup was the last major ICC event that Canada's been to. So it's been a decade since they've been really on the world stage. And gee, I don't know, where do we go from here? There's a few more slots available for the 2024 World Cup. So I mean, maybe they'll get there or maybe, you know, if you lose eight for 13 in a crucial qualifying match, it's not really a whole lot you can do, even if there's 20 slots available for the World Cup. So yeah, just do better guys. That's about it. Wow. Uh, yep. Yep. I'm not sure if I can dig any deeper there. Only to say that you mentioned 2011 and uh, Spore's performance, and that's where it makes me think about uh, Ghostbusters when Egon says, I, I collect spores, molds, and fungus. That is, every time I heard his name, I just I thought of that. Like, I, well, they played like spores, mold, and fungus. Yeah, if, there, is, if there's anyone else in the world that thought that as well, please get in contact with me because I think we may be soulmates. Um <laughs> You know, John Davidson was there in, in 2011 and he had a family connection similar to Spores and, and performed well. And obviously, you know, he scored at the time the fastest century in World Cup history. Um, I don't have much more to add to what you said. You know, I think you highlighted the issues that they have about playing a couple of good games and, and then capitulating. My concern is where does Canada go from now if at this stage they're at and they're losing players where they don't have players that ostensibly are staying in America because they're trying to qualify to play Major League Cricket as locals and eventually qualify, maybe ergo qualify for USA. I'm not sure what comes first, but I get the feeling it could be living in America as local professional cricketers. You know, what is what is next for Canada? And does that mean that any good player will benefit from the advantageous relationship with their southern cousins to be able to go and work there as a cricketer but have to stay there and meaning that anyone good is going to get snapped up almost like a mini full member to their south? So that really makes me worry. The fact, the fact that we're missing a couple of their, their stars now, and I know you haven't lamented their missing from their performances more than the people who were there on the field and, and how they performed, but that is just a still a huge big elephant in the room for me and Canada cricket and their future. Yeah, there's some confusion around that. Nate Hayes, our USA correspondent, has been in contact with Kumar and, and he reckons it's just been a, a scheduling problem. He can't get time off work. He's started a new job uh, in Texas and 
I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you can imagine it's quite difficult asking a, a new employer in Texas that you want to play cricket for a different country. So I, I can kind of sympathize with that. But yeah, not sure what's going on with Dura, uh, Wujay Ratner or Gordon. Gordon's always been a bit erratic. He, he kind of sort of goes missing f- for a little while. And I'm, so I'm not sure what's going on with that. But yeah, Wujay Ratner and Dura would be among the first names on the team sheet if you're picking a full strength Canadian side. And yeah, if if that's what is going on, you know, if if there is kind of a loophole where they can play as locals in the USA, you know, I don't know. That as you say, that is very worrying because obviously the chance of playing, uh, you know, major league cricket, getting a steady income out of the sport rather than having to, you know, combine being basically an amateur with uh, playing for Canada is that would be a lot more appealing if they could make a, a career out of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess that's a, a question for the future, and and we'll probably get more clarity on that as Major League Cricket and the minor league kind of structure underneath it shakes out and, and we get a bit more clarity on how that all fits together. But uh, yeah, just very, very disappointing from Canada. Honestly, even missing those guys, I think they probably should have beaten Nepal. I think they certainly should have beaten Oman, but they just, yeah, really uh, couldn't do it. Mm. As we're talking about Major League Cricket, let's not forget that the first major franchise tournament or event in North America of recent years was the Global T20 Canada that was supposed to be providing a salary and a proper income or professional support for these players as well which which didn't eventuate and we saw changes in the contracts for these players who you know the fact that we have one of their their best players of the last decade working in texas um i guess tells us that that, that contract system or any contract system of anything um, worth its salt doesn't exist so i hope for the fact that they signed was it a 50-year deal between cricket canada might have been 25 years yeah 20 okay so talking about that it's just another thing that makes you wonder that if you sign that deal and what's coming through from an income point of view is how's that supporting the future of, of canada's cricket because if we can't keep canada's best cricketers in canada playing for canada then you know there's a lot to be thinking about yeah not a great campaign it must be said so we we talk about Germany. Germany's an interesting one. Never really got going. I think they'd probably say that they had a, a disappointing campaign. Uh, to be honest, not a whole lot sticks out. I mean, they, they gave UAE a decent run in the first game where they made 167 in pursuit of 191. And I think a bunch of players stood up and, and showed what they were capable of. But it was kind of, I don't want to say it was over before it began, but it started with a defeat to, to Bahrain. And that pretty much puts you know, all hope of qualifying, it's pretty much thrown out the window already at that point because, you know, if you can't beat Bahrain and you can't beat one of the other teams, you know, there's no chance of you going through. They put up a decent fight against UAE in the chase of 191, made 167. And then, yeah, just the campaign just didn't really get going. To be honest, it was one of those things where the the stream actually cut out a lot of the Germany's games as well and able to actually watch and, and view Germany was quite difficult. But from what I did see, I just felt like, they were perhaps just a little bit undercooked before they came into it and didn't really get the best chance of performing to the best of their abilities. Yeah, I mean, similarly, I, I think the fact that they did look pretty undercooked, I think that's probably just because they didn't have enough preparation. You know, a lot of these teams didn't get much time on the field training you know the, this whole tournament was run kind of on the cheap by the ICC and that included access to facilities for warm-ups and practice so yeah look I think Germany will be disappointed with their performances uh, they probably could have done better against Bahrain and 
Um, you know, if Justin Broad had kept going against the UAE, they, they might have got over the line. But I don't think there's a whole lot else to say. They they just were disappointing and, and they need to, uh, you know, come back in a couple of years' time and, and learn from that. And they're, they're certainly a country on the upswing with, with a lot of, uh, you know, new cricket clubs having popped up over the last few years. And, and so hopefully they can keep building. Yeah, I don't think it's any surprise that the four teams that made the semifinals were the four teams that played in a quadrangular T20 International Series on the same grounds immediately before the event that's a good point yeah Yeah, and the fact that those countries are the ones that can afford it which is getting there early extra accommodation and all the match fees that came with that and we heard rumors that Oman had sold the rights to that for a million dollars or something silly like that and had surplus cameras which were then offered to the the ICC for the event which were turned away which I don't know it's crazy enough to be true to be real the fact that we turned away cameras that were there and and camera staff um, only to be left with what we had but I think that just just shows again it's the have and the have nots and the last thing you want is we talk about the full member table of the have and the have nots and how critical it is for India to tour country A, B or C for, for that country's financial results. We, we don't want the same thing at an associate level where we're the likes of, of Germany and we haven't even talked about the, the Philippines yet turning up underdone and because they haven't been able to organise things nor afford it means that they're, they're in a worse position. And they're, they're already up against it from a, let's just say from a skill level point of view or a preparation or an execution, but that should be the reason that lose because of that not because they're underdone and not because only one day of training sessions and only two officials are being paid for in an event that would normally have five or six officials and much longer time and included trial games, practice games that are able to be used in the same way that the quadrangular was um, rather than the very sort of hurried games prior. But yeah, I, just similar, I think we expect a lot of Germany. I mean that in the current tense and also looking forward as to, to what they're building on and they'll be better for this experience. Um, and look, I hope to see more and more names are coming through the German system as, as both recent Germans and, and Germans who are coming through as, as young kids picking up the game. But as you said, you know, I think it just just told who was prepared best, and and perhaps Germany in a perfect world would have had a, a lot better preparation, and then maybe their performances would have been better. But great to see them in a global event. They're one of the great stories of, of global cricket at the moment, and uh, I just just feel for the likes of uh, Brian Mantle that you know I think was one of our, our better pods during the. The lockdown time of hearing the story behind the, the game there and to know how much he bleeds for the game there of how this experience has been. I can only hope the next time around um, will be better for him and, and Germany in general. Yeah, certainly. I don't think we've come to the end of the road for Germany by any stretch of the imagination. And, and I think they're certainly a team and an organisation on the up. Philippines, we know how they qualified and qualified for a lack of a better term, given that they progressed to this qualifier based on ICC rankings and came in as the lowest ranked team at the competition. I dare say we got what we expected here and you know this is with no disrespect to Philippines they represented their country in, in a good light they seemed to play in, in the right spirits and everything was there for them they did an okay job of, of promoting themselves but ultimately not up to this level just yet and could probably make the same argument as we just discussed with Germany it just looked as if they were a little bit under done and they haven't played any cricket in their region almost at all in the last two years or so so look things were difficult I'm sure they got a lot out of the experience and they can take that back to EAP in in future tournaments I'm sorry Tim if that seems to impact Vanuatu but (laughs) yeah not a whole lot to to really add there Nick. Well I I remember hearing some rumours from you that uh, James Smith Narara's first grade captain had been approached to get on the team and 
honestly, I think he probably would have contributed. Um, but that point about that a number of players do have great experience in Australia, uh, it sort of shows how far associate cricket has come in the last couple of decades since the development pathways have been taken a bit more seriously. With Bob Woolmer, you know, way back in, in the early 2000s and, and going on from there, you know, 20 years ago, a bunch of grade cricketers from, from Australia probably could have taken the Philippines pretty far up the qualification ladder. But as it stands today, they got thumped by everyone they played against. They've conceded 200 in their first three games and then 190 against Bahrain. So, yeah, th- that, that shows that even at this level, you know, just having guys who've kind of swung about recreationally, th- that's not good enough anymore. You need you need to actually have a high quality of, of play. And so that's, uh, I guess, kind of a silver lining is it just shows how good associate cricket really is. I, you know, I, I think they're doing a decent job uh, over in Das Marinas in, in the Philippines. Um, it would be great if they could build on this and, and, you know, we have a bit more competition in East Asia Pacific. And um, I guess the best contribution they made was with some nice, some very smart blue kits with a nice design down the the arms and, and the legs. Yeah, you know, it's one thing about the the lack of preparation that Germany had coming in. The Philippines even worse. And it's not only that there's been no cricket in, in EAP, and we know that a lot of the Philippines players came from Australia. They're based from Australia. They're they're from there. And even if that means they've been able to play some cricket leading up to this, they haven't been able to play as a team, train as a team. You know, be as a team. You can't just have players fly in from everywhere who are not franchise cricketers used to doing these things and, and, and knowing their roles and do, and then just expect them to, to be able to perform. So it was almost the worst of all worlds for them. No international experience in, in recent years. Three, almost three years. The last career they would have played is, what, 2019 in that in that fateful qualifier that Bez keeps bringing up, just trying to, you know, it's not so much me. I know that when Jamal Vera listens to this, he kind of sheds a tear every time because every time it gets mentioned, he gets a little bit emotional about knowing the effect of that five-over game in, in Moresby. I'm only saying that because I've ordered him as a staff member to listen to this podcast so I'll be <laughs> marking him on this later um yeah so bang on you saw the gap there and yeah rankings we've talked about it it's it not fit for purpose and even worse when you're looking at a, a regional system you know and for me it's even worse like, I mean personally from a Vanuatu point of view because I saw the levels that the men's team were at with Jeremy Bray at the helm and they were firing and really raring to go if we'd actually been able to leave the country and you know it wasn't only us that were the reason why the qualifier was was cancelled in the end so yeah but again all all this says to me is that the same as a country going to a world cup and not putting on a great show for associate cricket because they haven't had the opportunity to play against these teams it is the same in associate level you know how is the Philippines going to get better um, if they don't get a chance to play against these teams more often? Um, and, you know, they've got a couple of good teams in, in the region. It's a very small region, the likes of PNG, Vanuatu, Fiji, etc. But I'd rather than lamenting the performance, small thing, great. We've got an enthusiastic team here, especially from an admin point of view. They're working really hard. How do we help them get better? There's a couple of final points that we need to make as a tournament review. A couple of bugbears, I think. Watching the last qualifier from... 2019 and its glittering TV production and it being a rather enjoyable tournament, different format as well, and we understand sort of the logistics in all of that, which we can kind of sympathise, but also too it would be great to see a, a bumper qualifier of 16 teams. We kind of know why that's not happened in this case, but I think the stream went down too much, even for someone who's watching it on a dodgy Auckland hotel stream. It seemed as if it was a problem experienced by a lot of people around the place, which is quite unfortunate, you know, in comparison to the seamless TV broadcast we've had in previous iterations. And then the two semi-finals being held concurrently, which again, we've kind of heard murmurs as to why it was, but nothing concrete 
and to us it doesn't make any sense because you know in terms of exposure you're wasting such an opportunity of not having those two games on at different times who wants to jump in here and and elaborate on this because yeah ultimately those two points kind of brought the tournament down a little bit what haven't we already talked about we talked about this before the tournament so we're going over the same ground and we knew this was going to happen and i I don't know if it was worse than what we expected or as bad (laughs) The only shining light was having commentators that knew what they were talking about. So it was already better than the women's qualifier. So that's a plus. You know, the fact that you had to set up two separate accounts to watch games at once, you know, it's not fit for purpose, full stop. And, and and this has been said and it hasn't been fixed for a global tournament. So what does that say? Whispers that, well, this was the tournament that was shoehorned in so there's no funding. Uh, no, because if the tournament is being held, that means there's more media rights coming in. So there's more media money to spend on events. Let's not forget that we've just sold the the global rights to the Pathway events for X million dollars as well that could go towards this as well. So any excuse that there's no money, there is money. It just hasn't been apportioned to this. So whoever made that decision at the ICC, I'm trying to go back and find streams worse than this for an ICC event. And we've got to go before the qualifier for 2014 Um, and show me another sport that's done this. Really disappointing. Great that we're able to watch cricket, but wow. You know, not being able to watch the games. And look, I think, Nick, you've probably got your bullets ready to shoot around the tournament structure. But show me an ICC tournament or any global sporting tournament when the two most important games are at the same time on a system that you weren't able to watch at the same time. Just unbelievable. So, yep, not being able to watch streams. Field number two, having a full member with the majority of the market where, well, their home market not being able to be watched in a, in a global events you know i tried to watch deliberately <laughs> the island oman game to see the stream and cutting in and out every over every few seconds literally unwatchable and that's us absolute complete nuffies the emerging game <laughs> and it sending sending us crazy so imagine what it's like for everyone so look this needs to be fixed because whoever along the chain here you know the rights were sold to img and img have contracted crick clubs it's fallen down you know it needs to be fixed and yes covid understood a lot of these things are happening at timing that wasn't wasn't expected but it's, it's it is so disappointing and you mentioned 2019 we've talked about it ad nauseum that was the standard you know the women's event in zimbabwe should have been at that standard and, and we should be looking at the, the next level up you know whether we start talking about reviews and drs at a global t20i level you know that these are the tournaments that should be the guinea pigs okay i know that we're saying that how important these events are and what hinges on them but look at what happened to scotland in zimbabwe with the, with the 50 over world cup you know this is a chance for the icc to use technology at these events to say does it work rather than the flip side us being stuck with what's happened and i'm, and I'm sure there'll be an argument from icc land of look we either got the budget for this event that we got or there was no event and we went on rankings anyway so be happy with what, what you've got and i understand what it's like in a corporate world when you only get given so much budget and you and you don't have a choice and and you know that it's not a battle that you can win and I completely understand it. Being there, done that, and anyone who lives in the sort of the cricketing world or any corporate world has to deal with that. But this is a product which is bad, full stop. You know, the highlights packages, the fact that it went straight to tape has some semblance of continuity is good. But we still don't have an ICC website that has the tables, links to players, and people know the context and any sort of joined up digital experience. And if we're having a digital revolution of the game, a digital transformation as as has been released in the ICC strategy, this isn't it. This is a step back to where we weren't in 2015. So I only hope 
that the what comes out of this is a change and a big change in time for the next tournament. And I feel for the teams here that were trying to sell sponsorship and it was great to see the fact that they were allowed to have sponsors on the front of their shirts. It's the first time in a global qualifier for a long time that they've they've been able to do that. I didn't see any press release or anything around that, you know, similar to, and this is might, might be boring for some people, but for me, not so much in, in knowing that, you know, you need as much real estate as you, as you can to help you know, bring in partners, you know, previous iterations of this global qualifier like any icc global event you'll only see a sponsor on the leading sleeve of shirts and then you'll see the country's name on the shirt it was there was the same in these these qualifiers but this time you saw a sponsor on the shirt the same thing happened during covid we now have sponsors on the front of test shirts and i think many people may argue well that takes away from the experience of having sponsors on the shirt but knowing how important it is to the the product that we're selling especially at our level i'm glad that 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 happened at, at this so that that's a positive but i just hope we see a complete overhaul of the entire streaming system and especially icc.tv is what we're hearing is that it was streaming into india through fan code uh, and also nepal and the tv but it was actually the icc app that where those streaming problems happened but that still doesn't make up for the, the you know the lack of continuity and, and structure within the app itself about tables stats um and context so yeah look i've unsurprisingly i picked up the uh the gavel um, there and I'll pass it over to Nick and apologies to those that have heard me say this for geez probably the last six podcasts but it needs to keep being said because we can't accept this because this <laughs> this is holding holding us back it's not only providing a barrier it's actually holding back um, I know from first-hand experience the effect that this has on talking to partners and cricket needs more partners around the world not just cricketers that want to play but also corporate partners government NGOs etc especially in these emerging cricket nations and we need a better product to help support that i mean as you said it's just basically it's just not good enough you know the the stream constantly cutting out unwatchable uh the the color being really washed out and, and you, you know you could barely see the ball on the pitch that's no good the audio was a bit of a mess with replays playing audio over each other and um, you know, they've only got three cameras and for half the time uh, the operators don't seem to be working or know what they're doing. I don't know. Just the, the stream was terrible. The scheduling was terrible. You know, running both your qualifying matches at the same time. I don't know whose decision it was, but it was a really bad one. You know, there's some stuff's out of their control, as, as we've kind of alluded to in, in terms of funding. And this qualification structure was kind of slapped together at the last minute with the extra T20 World Cup being crammed in late in the cycle. So some stuff you can forgive, but some stuff is entirely on the organizing committee you know why is this tournament structure the way it is you know why bother with all the useless playoffs there's 12 group matches uh, in the round robin two semi-finals that's 14 matches which actually mean something there's 20 matches in the tournament total with a bunch of useless placings playoffs where you know do we really need to find out who's the seventh place team or who's the fifth place team I really don't understand. 30% of the matches that you've scheduled are completely meaningless for actually qualifying in what is ostensibly a qualifying tournament. It's, it's bizarre. And, you know, if, if the purpose of this abbreviated structure was to save money and save time, okay, that's disappointing, but you can understand that. But then they go and have 30% of the matches that are completely useless. Why not do something like a round robin uh, in the group stage with two matches per team and then just take the top two teams? You know, that's 24 matches. It's only four extra games compared to what they've got here. And, you know, in, in that case, you're getting a more fair representation of, of who the best team is in each group. Or even, you know, bin the placing games entirely and have the top teams from each group go straight into the semis and then have a 2v3 crossover playoffs. So, you 
you know, the, the, the second place team plays the third place team in the other group and, and vice versa. If you do that, uh, you'll end up with 16 matches. Slap on a final, uh, that's still 17 matches. So presumably you're saving money and time over what you've actually got. And that's a better structure anyway. So uh, yeah, this tournament structure was always going to be uh, a bit kind of janky, but this is just a massive own goal from the ICC to be scheduling it like this with all the, the useless games. Don't, I don't really have a whole lot to add there. Unless, sorry, Bez, before you, before you wrap, or at least tell us to be quiet. You know, of structures, you know, the the, the lack of sort of a coherent com strategy before, during, and after as well really, really got me. And there were no tournament previews. A press release about the event came out the day before. No proper press conferences. Nothing that was broadcast that went straight to to media zone. It just really felt like it was a low, a low priority. Yeah, and we've talked about ICC.tv a lot already, but. The ICC Twitter account was advertising the PSL, which is a full member run franchise event, which is admittedly on ICC.tv. So there's an income stream there potentially for the PCB and therefore, you know, the ICC should be sharing it. Bilateral T20Is with Australia, Sri Lanka, West Indies, India. And and they were posting about birthdays and Coley's attitude towards the new Captain Rohit Sharma. I'm not even going to say more than the qualifiers because there, were, there was a whole day with the qualifiers happening where it wasn't mentioned at all that the qualifiers were happening. And that, to me, was just the nail in the coffin of, of how this event was, was seen. I've heard in the past, oh, well, there's no content, so how can we share content on our channels if there, there, there's nothing? We can't just be linking to scorecards. We've got nothing to do. It is literally ICC's event, and we were seeing about the PSL more. And to see the numbers being reported about that the ICC has the best social media engagement around the world of any other global sport or global sporting body, that's great. But who are we trying to chase for that? Are we chasing cricketing fans in the subcontinent because of the numbers only because they're numbers or are we actually trying to grow the game and I think we know the answer to that and it's really disappointing you know th- this is an event that okay there's nobody there's nobody there everyone was in Zimbabwe and then they were in the West Indies for the Under Rainbow Cup and now they've gone to New Zealand get the people who are posting screenshots or posting photos from the, the PSL to be posting about the event that the ICC is actually running and say, look, here's a project for you, team, wherever you are, find a narrative, go to town on this. Let's make this the best it can. But instead, we got more posts about four member franchise cricket than we did about the ICC zone event. So sorry to jump over the top of your Bez. I just wanted to get that out because that was something that really got me. And there's a lot of anger out there and it's the first time that I, I've sort of felt this since the 10 team World Cup went back to that and people pushing back against that and it's not a good place to be all the frustrations we've come through the COVID world and I know the challenges that we have there but there were things here that could have been done differently and you've got a digital team wherever they are posting about these full member events you can even they could just be resharing that country's post and saying you can watch it on icc.tv and actually be spending your money and time with your digital team to post about the event that the ic is hosting it it wouldn't have been hard but it just showed where the priorities are yeah well i think that's just about everything covered boys went over our sort of allocated time once again to the shock of none of us three i think that we basically do that almost every time we get in here but look there's a lot of cricket to talk about there's a july qualifier for the same competition coming up and we'll make sure to give that as much attention as we can as well but once again congratulations to uae and ireland for qualifying for the icc men's t20 world cup can't wait to see you in australia uh and but for now boys unless you've got anything to add i think it's uh time to sign off on behalf of Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner, and myself, Daniel Beswick. Enjoy the rest of your week wherever you are around the emerging cricket world.